to help us like it's like I wish, I wish And every time we love it, it feels just like this I wish, I wish And every time we do it, it feels just like this I wish, I wish And every time we love it, it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better rhyming speed Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love it, it feels just like this. Like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. Make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers, flavors lasting low and loop. Don't go stupid, but then they can't rely on rights. Two J's and I'm not nobody. Good time, singing in a chapel. Waiting for a hot meal, lighting up the combine. Looking for a hot meal, about to start a doctor. I let y'all silicon, meet it like a top top. Kicks like 808, kicks like 808. I ain't trying to say it again. Okay, 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 hey, hey, look. I try to tell them that I made it out the garbage. With a dollar and a promise, then I'll turn both of my pockets. Standing middle and knockers, hope we stop it. You ain't never doing what you say you're doing. Yeah, you dropped that Russian on ride like we was making rubies. Yeah, I wish, I wish. Hello? That's so weird. My sound is going a little bit out and out of my mic, but we got there. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of The Debrief. I am Brianna Joy Gray. We're having this extemporaneous call in because I just was really curious what you guys thought, to be honest, about this sort of unprecedented format for a presidential campaign launch. Of course, Ron DeSantis just launched in a Twitter spaces uh, with Elon Musk and David Sachs. Uh, the headlines across a lot of the news media, perhaps unpredictably, given that they missed out on being the sole purveyors of these kinds of launches, is about the uh, technical snafu that led to, what, eight minutes or so of silence at the beginning of the call. I tuned in late, so I actually missed all of that. I did see that Trump has already responded by posting a video that is eight minutes of silence and then a explosion uh, that represents Ron DeSantis's campaign. But I was more interested in what uh, kind of conservative-leaning people, kind of Ron DeSantis-sympathetic folks uh, thought of the whole thing and not just media figures who are kind of predictably going to be focused on the format and the anti um you know, the anti-mainstream media of it all. And it was curious to me to overhear folks talking about how they felt like it was dull. They had an expectation that because it was Twitter spaces, that it would be more democratic and confrontational. And really, it felt like a bunch of uh, Ron DeSantis' friends and allies giving him layup questions. I heard people saying that they felt that he wasn't even the most charismatic person in his own presidential announcements room, given that Elon Musk was there at his favorability rating. 
is one of the highest of any human being in the United States of America. Um, I think the format itself really led people to believe that it was going to be something other than a red scripted speech. And not only was it a red scripted speech, it was a red scripted speech that didn't have the benefit of being in front of a crowd or to be able to exploit the natural energy that comes with starting a campaign, addressing a bigger audience that's standing right in front of you. And I think that he also was hurt by that. I heard some people say that he sounded very lawyerly and while they respected him and appreciated the job he was doing as um, governor of Florida, that he just doesn't have the retail politics skills that Trump had and that he would not even have been reelected in 2018, but for uh, Trump's endorsement, which of course is a line that Donald Trump himself has used a great deal. He had one big defender in the space who you know, almost hysterically said repeatedly, but he doesn't cheat on his wife, unlike Trump, um, which was an odd thing to focus on. Many of the conservatives in the in the in the space said that they felt like it was ridiculous, irres- irresponsible, even for no one to have brought up any foreign policy. Asking why we're talking about you know Bitcoin when we're uh, in being dragged into this war in Ukraine and the potential conflicts with Russia being World War III, nuclear conflict-worthy stuff. Um, people, Gorka, I think it was, said he ha- was going to struggle to differentiate himself from Donald Trump. He seemed to very purposefully avoid referencing Donald Trump directly, although there were some allusions to Donald Trump and the fact that he had not, in fact, uh, built the wall. Um, J- RFK Jr. got a shout-out as the only real candidate running in the United States of America, which was interesting in a groom full of conservatives, and there was no noticeable pushback against that idea. Uh, and it did feel like a lot of folks echoed the idea that he was just, you know, an establishment-feeling conservative, although they appreciated his work as governor, didn't see him pivoting to a national um, election context successfully unless something like one of Donald Trump's lawsuits were to take him out of the game. Um, and I and I, I found myself agreeing with a lot of those comments. I uh, also felt like the focus on some of the um, uh, culture war stuff might have short legs, especially when you're on a national platform. Uh, and it's not clear to me how relatable uh, some of the discourse around um, trans issues, uh, I shouldn't call them trans issues, trans... <laughs> people existing <laughs> uh, is going to be um, <clears throat> as uh, sympathetic more broadly, whether or not America wants to spend the next year and a half talking about who and who is not allowed to tuck what into b- b- bikini b- bottoms. Um, you know, the, I think as the, as the volume of stories increases about the books that are being flagged in Florida by parents and by administrations, um, and as they're increasingly innocuous in nature, I'm no huge fan of Amanda Gorman's artistry, I gotta say. But the idea that uh, there was a parent who was affiliated with the Proud Boys that was trying to pull it from the shelves, along with a book that's a children's book, like a picture book almost, that's the ABCs of uh, Black history, and then it seemed increasingly like there is uh, an attack on teaching history. <laughs> uh, and so we'll see how that plays more broadly. I did want to play a brief clip of him, 
uh, Ron DeSantis going on to Fox News to do an interview with Trey Gowdy, where you get a sense of the how the focus on the culture wars might play more broadly. But let's get into what you guys think. Sean, you're up first. What's on your mind? Can you hear me? You with us, Sean? Yeah, I should be. What's on your mind tonight? Um, I think uh, I think DeSantis at this point is kind of inconsequential. I live in like a more conservative area. I work around a lot of conservative people. Um, and Trump is bigger than politics. He's, uh, he represents like a rejection of the liberal side of the culture war. And, um, you know, he, the, he's the embodiment of uh, the rejection of the political correctness of the political class. I think people really love to see him mock the politicians in 2016, even the conservative ones that, you know, normally they might have even voted for, but they were pissed at because nobody's really happy with the way this country's going unless... You know, you have seven or eight figures in the bank account. And um, there's just nothing anybody can do to stop Donald Trump and the Republican Party. And I think that kind of conveys like a little bit more of a uh, actual election process over there in the GOP. As much as some of these people, some of these fools who who are clamoring for a, pl- a primary or a debate in a rigged primary process. A lot of people, you know, in the commentariat are saying things like, well, Ron DeSantis represents Trumpism without the baggage of Trump. He has a, a healthy, intact family uh, with cute young kids. Um, he does not involved in all the scandals that Donald Trump is uh, involved in. He manages to, you know, stay on script and not um, create problems for the party. He, he's probably not going to do, you know, you know, encourage people to storm the Capitol, whatever it is, and that therefore people who agree with you and say Trumpism is. Um, bigger than I think you said, you know, it's bigger than the party that it has all this influence, that it's what people want, that it's important and persuasive to, to voters. Have Ron DeSantis as a reasonable alternative? Do you what, what do you what do you make of that argument? Do you see any voters saying, "Well, I do really like Trumpism, but I like Ron DeSantis's version of it because it's a little more polite." Um, no, because um, most mm-hmm. of the more wealthy. People in the in the GOP, like the more classical conservatives, don't like Trumpism. Um, you know, they they like more of the dynasty politics of like you know the Bush era, and um, the people that like Trump like him because he's he's brash and he doesn't have respect for uh, for the political class, and neither do they. And um, Trump or uh, DeSantis tries to walk in both worlds 
but he's never going to be able to do that. Donald Trump knows, uh, he, he knows his, his followers. He doesn't have to convince people to follow him. He's already got probably a bigger following than any politician in America at this point. I mean, now that Bernie Sanders kind of disillusioned most of his followers, it's by far Trump. I mean, Trump doesn't, all he's got to do is just get those people to come out and vote and they're going to. Yeah. I'm inclined. I was reflecting on this earlier. Um, Trump won in 2016, but I should put it this way, but for Obama to Trump voters, Trump would not have won in 2016. Right. So there's this bolus of voters that everyone talked about a lot in 2017, but has been kind of forgotten about since that switched from being Obama voters to Trump voters. And I would argue that what's motivating those kinds of voters are wanting an outsider candidate who's going to shake up Washington and drain the swamp and reform the banking system and all of that sort of thing. And you can say, obviously Obama betrayed those promises. I would argue that Donald Trump did as well. But if you're looking, if you're comparing Trump to DeSantis and you're still looking for that outsider energy, despite Donald Trump having literally been the president of the United States, I, I, I don't see people who were looking for an outlaw in Obama and Trump being satisfied by the lawyerly, scripted, stiff, corporate, Yale elite Ron DeSantis, who looks deeply uncomfortable in those knee-high white boots Despite saying in this announcement that he is a working class boy, yeah, I mean, it, so I, t- I tend to agree with you, Sean, and I appreciate you weighing say, in. Say whatever you want about Trump; he's authentic. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. And just real quickly, Sean, um, what do you think about? Uh, I'm not sure if you are planning to vote in the Democratic or Republican primary, but what do you make of the Democratic field? Do, do you have any favorites among? Um, uh, Biden, Marianne, and um, RFK Jr. Uh, no. Do you think there's appetite for RFK Jr. among the community that you're uh, talking about, or Marianne? Uh, nobody. Uh, nobody that isn't like really deep into politics could even tell you who Marianne Williamson is. To be honest, I'm a union boilermaker. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those guys know who RFK is because of COVID. And mm-hmm. a lot of those guys lost a lot of money from the lockdowns. Um, some of them had mm-hmm. businesses on the side that were forced to shut down. So I think there's, I mean, I personally do not like uh, any of them. I heard what uh, RFK had to say about health care. Um, sounded more like, like more Democrat weasel words to me. The guy's had mm. his uh, nose very deep into the Clinton's rear end for uh, over 30 years now. So I'm not really sure why anybody would. I, I, I don't know what people think this guy's going to do when he gets on the debate stage. Like, probably less than Bernie Sanders was willing to say. And uh, mm. I just feel like it's a waste of time, energy, and resources. And as far as Marianne Williamson goes, I mean, 
she's never held office. She she seems to flip flop on issues, and I think she might be one of the only people in America that Joe Biden could beat in a debate. All right, I, I really appreciate you weighing in, Sean. I appreciate your perspective. Can you tell us what part of the country you're calling from? Um, outside of Philadelphia. Generally speaking, you don't have to be. Okay, that was more specific than I even need. A, a Pennsylvania voter, just just curious about it. Thanks again, Sean. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, keep the faith. Uh, let's go to. Oh, I should have gone farther back on the line. But Sylvester, you're up. <laughs> What's in your mind tonight? You with us, Sylvester? Sylvester, I've been calling you a lot, and you have not been unmuting yourself. So I don't know if we're having a technical issue or what. But if you get back in line, I'll try you again. I'm going to go to Steph. And for those of you who are new here, I go one from the front of the line, one randomly selected from the middle or back of the line um, so we can mix it up. Steph, what's on your mind? Oh, my gosh. Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm a long-time first time. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah, it's um, it's really cool to talk with you. Um, I have a few mostly comments um, and then and then a question um, about something that I think you'd probably be be into for a future episode idea, maybe. Um, but first of all, I just like came to your podcast probably almost a year ago. And I just really do think that you've built an incredible community. Um, and listening to people uh, call into your podcast has really like encouraged me to get into organizing and like get out there and actually do something rather than just sort of doom scrolling all day. Um, oh, I love to hear <laughs> yeah. that. That's, that's really great. Thanks yeah. for listening. I'm yeah, so like glad. Specifically, I remember it was Rika who called in and I think, you know, I remember her calling in a couple times and like one time they were like, yeah, you know, just get offline. Like you think, oh, I have to prepare. I have to be, have all the knowledge and do all the things like just get out there and do stuff. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then I heard her call in, uh, just a little bit ago. And, um, so yeah, that was, I just, um, find your show just really, yeah, really invigorating. Um, and I really appreciate everything you do. Um, well, Rika's great and she inspires me as well. So, uh, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that. What's in your mind yeah, tonight? So I think overall, you know, I, as far as the whole, like, if we're still okay talking about like the Dem primary thing, um, Mm -hmm. I like your idea. You know, I think it's a great way to send a message and a big F you to Democrats. I just am not excited about Marion or RFK. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll vote for one of them, honestly. Like I, I really wouldn't, Mm -hmm. won't even like think too much about it. Um, or even which one, um, probably just whoever's like polling better. But, um, I do think there were some legitimate concerns brought up um, specifically on one of um, Sabby's recent shows about just, you know, sort of like their background and the fact that, um, you know, they just, I mean, they're not really working class. They don't really seem to have a lot of working class interests. And so I'm just very skeptical about them specifically, but I don't think that that really matters for the purposes of what you're talking about, which is just wanting to Mm -hmm. really voice dissatisfaction and wield some power against the Democratic Party. Yeah, that's how I feel. I I mean, honestly, for all of the weird blowback that I've gotten, I I haven't disagreed with hardly anything anybody said in the way of criticism of either candidate. So my my difference of opinion isn't based on a fundamental disagreement with the critiques of the candidates. 
but it's a strategic one. And I respect if people feel that even casting a vote is taking something away from them or too much, you know, too much of an imposition on their time or their mental energy. That's fine. But, you know, I cast a vote for Howie Hawkins. I couldn't tell you a thing about Howie Hawkins. (laughs) You know, and it was about getting the Green Party political power. And that is what it is. Um, And I will be voting in the Democratic primary as a F you to Joe Biden, as you put it. And um, I also think that it's useful to get people, you know, to have you can make an argument about the Democratic Party rigging elections and there being no debate and all of those kinds of things only when there's candidates that attract enough attention to give force to those arguments. And I think those are arguments that we're going to want to have for a longer period. We're going to want to be fighting for ranked choice voting. We're going to be wanting to fight for all kind of electoral reforms Mm -hmm. that may advantage a more inspiring candidate down the line. Um, And kind of completely not weaponizing the opportunities that are before us now seems a little like a waste to me, but it's a free country. You still with us, Steph? S- Steph, you still here? Can you guys hear Steph? Can you guys oh, hear man. me? I don't know what just happened. Okay, I'm back. So sorry. Oh, okay. I hear I you, Steph. I just lost you for a second. <laughs> um, the one comment I wanted to ask you about, I did not vet this at all, but one of the DNC lawyers, did you watch that segment that Sabby did with the D- on the DNC lawsuit by any chance? I saw it and I started it, but I, I didn't get very far. What, what, what should oh, I know well, about he, it? The gentleman made, made a statement that Bannon was somewhat behind RFK's run. And I hadn't, I hadn't mm-hmm. heard anything about that. So I have no idea if that's founded or unfounded. Um, they seemed like pretty informed people that wouldn't make a throwaway comment that wasn't substantiated. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to ask. We don't need to go there. I Yeah, I have heard that there is some relationship. Here's an article from the Sacramento Bee uh, from April. Now, keep all of this with a grain of salt because you know that there's a lot of interest in just kind of broadly anti-RFK uh, rhetoric from mainstream mm-hmm. papers. But, oh, shoot. Also, they just put me behind a paywall, so we won't be reading <laughs> the Sacramento read. Let's read this. <laughs> I know. It acted like it was going to load, and then it didn't. I'm a, I'm a little reluctant. All of these articles are very badly framed, so I'm trying to find one that at least isn't titled, of course, uh, right-wing anti-vaxxer RFK Jr. has been in support. <laughs> but here we go. Um, this one says, Steve Bannon encouraged RFK Jr. to run against Biden for months. Uh, This is from the Daily Beast. It says Steve Bannon spent months encouraging anti-vaccine poster boy Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to challenge President Biden for the Democratic nomination. According to a report, CBS News reporter Robert Costa reports that people familiar with the matter said Bannon hoped RFK Jr. could serve as both a, quote, useful chaos agent in the election while also hopefully stoking, quote, anti-vaccine sentiment around the country. While Kennedy has yet to formally announce his campaign, he felt blah, 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 blah. That's obviously dated. So I don't, you know, encouraging someone to run, being involved with a campaign are like two mm-hmm. different things. There's this Salon article called, of course, Steve Bannon and Alex Jones like RFK. But, you know, I, I just that association is not going to be not enough for people to just throw that's someone out. That's a little that's a silly. I, mean, I don't know. I think it's a, a silly reason to make up your own mind. Totally. About something. And, but I think the one thing that that led me 
down is that actually like one of your recent guests, when you were debating with them, you know, what is the utility of entertaining and, you know, like Tucker Carlson's anti-war message and, and just the way that, you know, like classically fascists, like use this like pseudo populist language to kind of like shepherd people to the right. And that's what worries me a little bit with RFK. Mm -hmm. And um, because I'm not sure I've heard the kind of like radical redistribution of wealth as much as I've heard more like we need to come home. We need to, you know, be, you know, not nationalist, but like, you know, we need to get out of these wars. And so I don't know. I just like I worry a little bit about endorsing someone like that. I also am, you know in the medical field and some of his state, I mean, some of his statements about vaccines are truly terrible. Um, and like, not just vaccines, like he makes, uh, crazy statements about SSRIs as well. Um, mm-hmm. and so that, that's just, you know, my pause with him. I'll, I'm still down. I'm still down to vote for him or Marianne in the primary. I think it's all like, I'm very disillusioned with electoralism altogether. Um, but I think your your plan to, you know, your proposal is a good one. And I think we should pull all the levers we can, as you've said before. Yeah, I hear that concern. I'm really hoping to be able to talk specifically to some of the biggest left commentators who have been talking about how there is more of an anti-war F, uh, movement on the right than the left, because while I very much feel like it's fair to point that out to, you know, pressure leftists to do better, I have a really hard time with not also being honest about how the it's such pageantry. Not a single one of them want to cut a dime of the military budget. Neither do yep. Democrats, to yeah. be clear, except for like maybe Ro Khanna. But like, <laughs> you know, you cannot you can you can you can say that their rhetoric is more anti-war than the left. You can say that they are against the war in Ukraine in the way that members of the Democratic Party aren't. But you can't let them accept the mantle of being anti-war if they're not willing to do a single thing that would prevent American militarism. Like, not a single thing. It's just all vibes right. that I don't like the war right. in Ukraine. 100%. 100%. And as, as we increasingly get people on the record, again, like from the – uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene interview I did a few weeks ago from the um, uh, Trump town hall. Like whenever people are pressed at all about what they were actually willing to do, Trump was very wishy-washy on it. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said specifically that she loves the troops and doesn't want to bring right. anybody home and wants the military to keep on military and wouldn't touch the right. budget. And I also just saw someone today. Who was it? Someone today also made it clear that they weren't actually willing to do anything. It's else. so interesting. So yeah, I, I, I want there to be some rhetorical tightness among my left friends. I don't want to just tweet it out because I'm not trying to get into a Twitter fight. I respect these people and I think we can agree on this, but it is, a, I've, I've observed that it's a bit of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I told, I think it's such a funny position. Like MTG finds herself in where it's like, yeah, she wants to criticize the war, but at the same time she knows that her base wants to glorify the military and so she can't actually come out and say that you know we need to cut military spending because her base would probably hate that um Mm -hmm. but i think Mm -hmm. overall yeah i think like the most i guess like pithy statement that i've seen more and more around is like 
and you've said it a billion times. And I think a lot of people I, I love on the left have said it a lot is just like they're making us fight a culture war so we don't fight a class war. And that brings mm-hmm. me to my final sort of appeal to you, um, which is, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you've made many statements about, um, you know, being very like, I don't know if you identify as an abolitionist or, but it, I know you're at least sympathetic to the abolitionist cause. Mm-hmm. And I think like a deep dive with an abolitionist on your show would be so valuable for so many reasons at this moment um, related to Jordan Neely, related to the way police are going to get increasingly involved with abortion um, and, and prosecuting people there. Um, all the anti-trans laws, Cop City. I mean, I think that there's a really, really great opportunity um, to get people educated on sort of like the benefits of abolition as it relates to just a form of social control of whatever, you know, uh, the government doesn't yeah, want. Yeah, you know, I've been trying to get, I've been trying to get Derricka Purnell yeah. on here for like mm-hmm. ever. Um, I ran into her at a student debt rally. I guess it was probably like exactly a year ago, maybe last April here in D.C. And we exchanged numbers and we were going to do it. And for some reason, things keep mm-hmm. coming up. Um, but thank you for the reminder. I'm going to try again. I'm going to our DM history right awesome. now to see where we left yeah. off. And I think that's a, a really good yeah. idea. And I, I know that like other people like, you know, Mariam Kaba is like a huge name, but is, I don't know how she feels. She's, she's on an occasional podcast, but she's like one of my like North stars. And then there's, there's a few other people, um, like even Nagao um, is on another podcast and then there's. Andrea Ritchie and Ruth Wilson Gilmore. But yeah, I just think it would be really great. And hearing about what people are doing on the ground, like abolition exists all around us. And I think people view it as this really heady, lofty goal, but people are already doing it. And, um, you know, it's something that I've only become aware of, like in the last couple of years. And I think it's really awesome. Um, So thank you for uh, looking into that. And then the last thing I'll say is, Um, You know, I think the two things I'm most passionate about on the left are abolition and and trans rights, honestly. And I have noticed Mm -hmm. that Democrats, you know, to to no one's surprise, it seems like have really just abandoned trans people. Like I still listen sometimes to the Pod Save America stuff. And um, they had a recent episode on messaging where it seemed like they pretty much decided Mm -hmm. that it was not a strategic decision to continue sort of talking about trans people sort of like I listened to that episode did but I don't remember trans stuff coming up at all are you saying that because exactly yeah that's exactly like Mm -hmm. I mean they literally danced around it they were basically like you know Republicans are banning your books and they're coming for your parental rights and they're coming for your reproductive rights but they won't it's like trans is a dirty word it's like they've totally Mm -hmm. cut them off um and like they're a sacrifice and honestly like you and sabby are my two absolute favorite journalists commentate i don't know like what you but i think you guys are both incredible put put up incredible content but i do feel like it's lacking a little bit from y'all too um and like to be a little bit critical i think your episode on trans people in sports was giving a little too much airtime to this this sort of really really bad faith argument and almost giving it i don't know more energy um where the real issue is the fact that their civil rights are being cut off at every turn um so 
I don't know. I just think that the left really, really needs to remember that none of us are free until all of us are free. And trans people are like among the most just like, you know, persecuted group right now. And we really need to just stay on top of it. Um, I mean, let me let me ask you this. I mean, this isn't I don't intend this as a gotcha in the least, but do you think there is no legitimacy to people being concerned about what the standard should be for a, a trans woman to compete against cis women and that, and do you think that there's any reasonable question about kind of physical advantages and differences between trans women and cis women and there needing to be some kind of metric for? No. And in fact, as like, as someone who's like very, you know, passionate about this issue, I'll, I'll be candid. Like, I think it's an issue that I've got hung up on myself and I don't fault anyone for bumping up on this issue. But I think as a leftist podcast to choose to focus on that when Florida has eliminated 75% of trans adults access to medical care by limiting the, you know, the fact that, uh, like advanced practice providers can't prescribe gender affirming care anymore. And that, um, you know, people all over are now unable to get gender affirming care for youth. And there's all these bathroom bills. Like when you choose to focus on the sports thing, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, well, I don't know that I chose to focus on the sports thing. I think it came up because it comes up in every conversation because it's a, it's a very controversial issue that many people, including people who vociferously support trans rights and oppose those bills don't agree with. And my feeling is that if the trans sports issue were being frankly messaged better the way that so many trans callers in a recent room about the subject, I think it was the room, the call in room that followed that episode. They had an approach that was, I think two or three trans callers came in who had an approach that was a, a lot more, I think in line with public perception that there are these differences between people who have gone through a kind of a, a male puberty versus female you know, female puberty and the differences biologically that happen between adults as a consequence of that and what that means for sports, which are segregated on the basis of biological sex and not gender because of a kind of broad scientific understanding that there are advantages that cis men have against cis women. I I really don't want to like go down this route because I totally, but that's, that's the problem. But you know, if, if transport, if you bring up transport, then people, they're, they're, to, to me, the reason, the way we get to stop talking about transports is if they're, if we stop making this conversation about but, transports. But, but what I'm saying is the conversation should be about the fact that literally they're trying to take trans children away from their parents. Like there's, there's well, genocidal. More than half of the episode was about that. Okay. I guess I just thought it was a little overrepresented. I don't want to, I don't want to get, get like hung up on it. I think you're great. I think you're totally, but, 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 but Steph, no, I'm not, I'm not upset at all, but, but Steph, the reality is like, for example, it, it has become a stalking horse. It's like, if somebody, if somebody says Ron DeSantis is banning uh, black literature in Florida, I'm like, that's bad. If someone brings, shows me a book that says uh, white people are the devil, uh, white children must be killed, and that for some reason is somebody library, I'm not going to spend my whole life defending that book. Get rid of that book. That's obviously silly. That's obviously a silly book, yeah. right? And I feel like there is – I'm sorry. I need to open and close oh, yeah. my dryer okay. so it stops beeping. 
Um, but the, the, the point of the matter is that there are I have been talking about what I feel like are some overreaches of the left since the beginning of I my get it. career. And one of, the, and one the of my that favorite I, episodes of all time of yours was Is Wokeness Killing the Left? Because I feel like the point you're making goes hand in hand with like sort of the sweeping generalizations and the lack of nuance and the I must be, you know, like the the caller said or the uh, the guest you had was like, you know, emphasizing calling someone houseless and just emphasizing the wrong things. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that we're being like this transports issue is a diversion tactic, you know, it it, truly like I I have nothing else to really say about it because it's such a non-issue. Like the numbers mean it is such a non-issue. And um, I think it, but the, but that that cuts both ways, you know. If it's such a non-issue, then there is some question about why there is so much prom. Like, I'm not saying that just because something affects a small number of people, we should just not defend the right if we think it's a substantive right. But also, I think there's some legitimate differences of opinion within the trans community about how hard they want to really fight for a. A trans woman to compete in competitive sports, at least without there being, you know, metrics that are significantly geared toward you know, eliminating any kind of biological advantage. Do you understand the timeline that when that, you know, basically the progression of rhetoric years and years and years ago, maybe 2015, it was trans people in sports and then it was trans people in bathrooms and now it's trans people's medical care. Yes, like, that's my point. That the that uh, what seems like a reasonable question is used as a wedge issue when people jump on that reasonable question and don't just treat it like a reasonable question. Like for years, I'm sorry, we we had such a good productive call in that day, which made me feel a lot more comfortable talking about. Like before that call, and I'll be honest, I would not have said biological sex at any point in this conversation because I would have felt like. There's so many people who for years have said saying those words is. I get it. No, you're right. I mean, borderline bigoted, you know, and so I struggle even to describe the phenomenon that we all know we're talking about because it's been so constrained. And I think that that is why people that has I'm not saying it's right or fair that people have taken that and gone all transphobic with it. It's obviously not. But I do think that has contributed to a atmosphere where people then lash out at trans people because they're like, oh, well, now you're going to call I, me a bigot if I just want to talk about whether a female MMA fighter uh, assists Brianna, female. I think your argument yeah, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's sort of the the underpinning of your argument is if only we can address and put to bed this trans sports issue, we will achieve trans rights like. No, I don't think that that's true at all. But I do think that if you wanted to stop taking up all the oxygen, you got to stop feeding the flames. I guess we have a different, you know, a disagreement in approaches. Um, I don't want also Steph, That was on my podcast. That was a conversation I had with the guest I invited on my podcast. That was paywalled. This is not me going out into the times, the town square, beating my chest and saying, you know what we should really talk about right now? Trans women in sports. It was what I consider to be a safe space and a private episode that was purposely chosen on my podcast behind a paywall where I thought we could talk openly about a very sensitive subject in a way that was in good faith, knowing that I'm not secretly trying to back in some transphobic agenda and I, through. And, I, and people might not feel that way, and that might not be a safe enough space. But, I'm not, 
But that was the agenda. And I think it's very different. This is not an argument that I said to trot out on rising or anywhere else. I know, and I'm not, I'm truly not accusing you of that. I don't think that you have, I think you love trans people and I don't think you harbor ill will for them at all. It's just, and I, and I'm really sorry if you feel like I'm blowing up your spot on your call. And because that was a private episode, I honestly didn't even remember or a pay, a paywalled episode, but it was just some comradely criticism and it's just a difference of opinion. If you, you know, if we have a different approach, I believe our hearts are in the same place. Um, yeah, no, I, I get that. And look, I, I'm not saying that I'm not beyond making mistakes, but I, I'm echoing what some of the trans callers said on that call, which is, and I feel as, let, listen, let me just talk about black people. There are a bunch of black people making dumb arguments that I feel like hurt my interests as a black person. And, you know, it seems to me that there are members of the trans community that feel so, some way about how certain trans activists are representing their interests. I really like Erin yeah. Reed, and she's doing extremely important work. I don't think it's especially helpful when she's when she sets the standard for trans women competing in women's sports as good faith identification. If I were her, I would workshop that a little bit because I think that sounds unreasonable to a lot of people, even if they want and support trans women in sports, good faith self-identification feels like not a, not a, not a good comfort. If you're a cis female athlete, I think Erin is focusing much more of her energy on the other stuff, the other anti-trans bills going on. I don't think she's going to spend a lot of time workshopping her message around trans sports. Okay. Well, she's going to continue to get asked about trans sports and I, I would recommend that she have, she re- rethink that answer. Maybe that's just what she believes in. And that's what she believes in. She doesn't have to rethink anything at all. But I don't think it's great. Yeah. I think that's inviting a, a, a hell of a we lot of totally, controversy where none needs we to can exist. Totally agree to disagree. I have the utmost respect for you. Um, I, I I don't think that I'm going to convince you of my of my stance on this, and that's totally okay. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you calling yeah. in, uh, Steph. This has been a, a productive of chat. Of course. Have a good one, Brie. All right. Keep the faith, Steph. Uh, Nathan, what is on your mind tonight? Hello, Brie. How do you? Yes, I can. Just to clarify, the picture I put up there, I don't actually have a pet seal. <laughs> I, I saw that on a community post on YouTube. And so I had to get a screenshot of it. It's from this YouTube. It's either Amari or Mari Seals. I'm pretty sure a lot of other people have seen it too. But anyways, I just couldn't help myself because I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. No, I appreciate your transparency. <laughs> right? Not, not misrepresenting um, the seal owner community. I know. that. <laughs> anyway, the, you were talking earlier about how, about how you voted for Howie Hawkins. Mm-hmm. So even though even though you didn't really know anything about him mm-hmm. well i have a really quick story i don't want to you know get too in the weeds with this i just want to make a point real quick is that the way the reason i supported howie hawkins was very simple it was because he was the only candidate who went on the jimmy Dore show which i was regularly watching at that time and still do he went on the show and personally made an appeal to me as an individual voter on jimmy Dore's show and he was the only candidate who ever did that, including with a surrogate or a representative, you know, in, as well in, in that count, the whole election cycle. And that was the main reason why I voted for Howie Hawkins. Mm. It's actually really simple to get people to vote for you if you just go and talk to them. 
but he was the only person that went and talked to me. I mean, I, I hear that. So uh, he's, he does some good constituent outreach. All right. Point for Howie Hawkins. Uh, Nathan, did you have any thoughts about the uh, – I want to try to keep this room about the DeSantis um, town, uh, announcement event. Uh, I'm not going to stay on here a long time like I usually do. I'm going to keep it uh-huh. to about an hour. So if we could go quickly and move through a bunch of people and just get your quick thoughts about the DeSantis stuff. Sure. I just get very – about that. I just have the feeling he's going to he's going to pull a Marco Rubio. How so? Well, have you seen the have you seen the clip of Marco Rubio debating Chris Christie? No. What the is slaughter, it? The slaughter of Marco Rubio by Chris Christie. That's the I'm going to use the term slaughter because that's what it was. Basically, Chris Christie pressed him even a little bit, and then he basically glitched and started repeating the same thing over again, kind of like Kamala Harris, but you but you just have to press different buttons in a different order to get them to start glitching and, and saying and, and saying phrases over and over again. Should we listen to it? Yes. If you can, if you have it, that'd be a really, that'd be, might be something nice to see just as kind of what I think is a sneak peek of what's going to happen on the debate stage, either between DeSantis and Trump or DeSantis and Christie, because I've heard that he was, that he wants to run also. Okay, let me hear. And he's a smart person and a good guy, but he simply does not have the experience to be president of the United States and make these decisions. We've watched it happen, everybody. For the last seven years, the people of New Hampshire are smart. Do not make the same mistake again. I think the experience is not just what you did, but how it worked out. Under Chris Christie's governorship of New Jersey, they've been downgraded nine times in their credit rating. This country already has a debt problem. We don't need to add to it by electing someone who has experience at running up and and destroying the credit rating of his state. But I would add this. Let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is trying to change this country. He wants America to become more like the rest of the world. We don't want to be like the rest of the world. We want to be the United States of America. And when I'm elected president, this will become, once again, the single greatest nation in the history of the world, not the disaster Barack Obama has imposed upon us. You see, everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave him. (laughs) See, see Marco, Marco, the thing is this. When you're president of the United States, when you're governor of a state, the the memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. They expect you to plow the snow. They expect you to get the schools open. And when the worst natural disaster in your state's history hits you, they expect you to rebuild their state, which is what I've done. None of that stuff happens on the floor of the United States Senate. It's a fine job. I'm glad you ran for it. But it does not prepare you for president of the United States. Chris, your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. And then you stayed there for 36 hours, and then he left and came back to campaign. Those are the facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second <laughs> speech. Well, that's the, that's there the it is, everybody. <laughs> you know what the shame is, Marco? The shame is that you would actually criticize somebody for showing up to work, plowing the streets, getting the trains run back on time, when you've never been responsible for Chris, that in your entire life. Okay. And the, he didn't and, want to go back. And, and the fact God, is, I don't really remember this, but I am both unimpressed by Rubio and also a little bored. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. 
Yeah, that's the that's the thing is the Ron DeSantis. Okay, the problem with him is that he is really good at kind of tussling with reporters, but when you get him in a situation where he where it's not a layup, he just falls apart. Mm-hmm. And that happened on the, it, it looked like that happened on Twitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't watch it, but it looked like it happened on Twitter. And it also happens some other times too. Like whenever he tries to attack Trump, it just falls apart. He just has no bite. He has no, he just, he, 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 he just doesn't have the ability to go for the throat, mm-hmm. but not, but Bernie doesn't. Marianne doesn't, Elizabeth Warren, none of those people have the ability to go for the throat. And if you want to actually win, you have to go for the throat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for weighing in, Nathan. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. All right. Keep the faith. You too. Bye. Bye bye. All right, Chris, what did you think of the town hall tonight or the announcement tonight? Can you unmute yourself, Chris? Chris going once, Chris going twice. All right, Jonathan, what did you make of it all? Uh, Well, firstly, I got to say you were definitely right. Um, uh, Certainly about uh, the difference between the CNN town hall and this, and also more broadly about Trump not having lost it. I, I think DeSantis was dead Santis as soon as Trump released that pudding fingers ad. <laughs> but uh, like in this one, like it was just, firstly, I was in there for a little bit and like, I was impressed by the hit parade of like conservative celebrities that were in there. You had Caitlyn Jenner, you had Sean Spicer, you had, every Fox news anchor ever. And uh, just going down the list, like that was like all these, you know, blue check right wingers were at the top. And it's like, there's all these hopeful people that want to see an alternative, you know, as you've described on the rising, like what they hope he is, you know, Trumpism without the baggage, but he's not that. And he never will be like Trumpism Mm -hmm. was never coherent enough to be, like something that and somebody else could capture and put in a bottle. Like part of Trumpism mm-hmm. was his kind of uh, fly by the seat of his pants, his instinct, you know, that's, that's kind of like where his, like where he captured some of the populist energy because that kind of hodgepodge of viewpoints um, and a little bit of that incoherence has to, you know, is something that resonates with people in their busy daily lives who are too busy thinking about, uh, surviving to pay all that much attention to all the, these nuanced little policy positions that they put out there and, and blah, blah, blah. And this guy just had no charisma, low energy. Um, and of course there was that one thing you put out there that he said, uh, which, you know, of course, like I thought this guy was supposed to be a Yale lawyer and he doesn't know about the mm-hmm. uh, anti-impoundment law. Like I linked to Bob. Yeah, that, was a, that was disturbing. Yeah, I wish I'm going to have to go back and look at a transcript because I really want to make sure I quote him like fully correctly. I only put a small bit of it in quotes because that's what I could remember as I was like transcribing it and listening. But he basically says something along the lines of that he's going to use the power of the purse to constrain activity um, uh, in the agencies, in the administrative agencies uh, and, you know, basically explicitly coerce them into 
what being in whatever shape or form that he wants them to be in. I, I've, I've been wanting to do some legal episodes for a while about the 14th Amendment and debt ceiling and some other stuff. Um, and I think it's worth maybe getting, if not Eric Siegel back on the line, then some other Bob law Hockett. professor to dig into Bob all Hockett, that stuff. Cornell Law. Uh, that's, that's who I tagged in your replies. He actually responded pretty quickly. The issue is that for some reason, at some point, it might have actually been an accident. He blocked my primary, but he follows two of my alts and my Facebook account. So I had to log out, log back into my alt to tag him uh, and mention his uh, his little published paper and his Forbes article. But he responded like right away and very enthusiastically. So I bet you if you reach out to him on Twitter, he will be delighted to schedule something. That is who I strongly All right, I'll take a look at that. Thank you for for tagging him. To your point about um, all of the blue check, uh, like, applause lines he got, Donald Trump apparently just posted a parody video of a Twitter spaces that's filled with uh, George Soros, (laughs) Dick Cheney, Hitler, the devil, and the FBI. I got to listen to this. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. everyone. Welcome to our Ron DeSantis Twitter space. Hello. Is my microphone working correctly? George, can you just wait while we... Hello. Can That's you supposed hear to be me? Soros. We can all hear you, George. Can you just hold on for a second? Hilfa, I don't think they can hear me. <coughs> That's supposed to be Cheney. I don't think George knows how to use Twitter. Hello. Uh, can you hear me now? Can the I devil's please make the my woman. big announcement now? Everyone just... Hello. Just shut up, George. Can somebody just mute George? <coughs> Dick, could you try not to cough on the... <coughs> okay, so how are we going to take out Trump, you guys? Uh, uh, guys from the FBI... This is not a private call. This is a public <laughs> Twitter space. Everyone can listen in. God damn it. <laughs> the, the FBI just dropped off. Uh, anyway, oh guys, God. we uh, invited everyone to this, uh, this Twitter space so Governor Ron DeSantis could. <coughs> everyone just shut the hell up so I can make my announcement, okay? You go, girl. Wait, the devil is gay? So what? Everyone in this call is gay. How are we in a real timeline? <laughs> I how don't we... even know. Did Trump really post this? I I I I don't even I don't have the words. There is no this man you can't you can't fight this man if he's willing to do stuff like this. Good luck, well, good luck, now, DeSantis. I could. Yeah, somebody like me actually, could, but you have to, you have yeah, to talk about you have, have stuff. energy. You you have to seem like you have to seem like the grown up in the room and not like you're posturing as a grown up, like a school marm, but someone who's genuinely concerned about the well being of Americans. Honestly, it wouldn't take very much in this environment to seem like you have genuinely invested in the well being of Americans. Uh, but nobody's doing it. That's to say this is his only chance if he can make the case that he will actually improve the economy, that he will actually – I mean, he doesn't believe in doing things, so it's going to be tough. But this is where, you know, like a Bernie style candidate would be nice, but it's not – Yeah, or somebody with, with with even bigger troll Capricorn energy uh, <laughs> than he has. Yeah. And that part, that part was right. You were right about that part. But uh, <laughs> the comparison to Pete Buttigieg, that really hurts. <laughs> Look, Capricorns are great at making money. There are a lot of positive qualities. Every sign has positive qualities and negative qualities, Jonathan. It's nothing personal. Well, I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at making money. 
and I just can't do it. <laughs> but uh, I, we certainly are like we can we can be supportive, aka mean, depending on uh, which side we're on. I guess that that's definitely true. <laughs> but I, other than that, like I'm nothing like Pete Buttigieg, and uh, you know there were a lot of Capricorns in those replies. They were saying, no, we're not like Pete Buttigieg either. Mm-hmm. We're awesome. We're nice Look, people. And I'm nothing like Barack Obama, but here we are. And that's just the way the astrology works. So don't take it too hard, Jonathan. I'm gonna you got the charisma, couple... though. <laughs> All right. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm going to get a couple more people in here, but thanks for calling in, Jonathan. Thank you. Bye. All right. Keep the beat. Cameron, what's on your mind tonight? What, what did you think specifically about uh, the Ron DeSantis stuff? Um, so let me just start by saying I love you, Brianna. Watch Rising every morning. Oh, um, thank you. Ron DeSantis, that man just makes me so uncomfortable. Literally talked about nothing the entire time. I honestly think maybe he has like this Richard Nixon logic where he's just like, oh, if like I don't show up on camera, maybe people will like me more just because like, mm-hmm. you know how they have that whole problem with this facial, like facial mm-hmm. expressions? Mm-hmm. So I think that was like the whole Twitter space logic, but that flopped. I, I kind of like that theory. Okay, I buy that. And I just, what I have, my concern overall, though, has to do with the debates going forward and mm-hmm. how Donald Trump and Joe Biden are most likely not going to debate anybody. And I just want to know what role independent media is going to play in facilitating anything, if, if anything at all. I really hope that somebody with a platform hosts a debate. I know that people were asking for breaking points to do it, although I don't know how they're feeling now post RFK Jr. interview. I know that some people have said rising. We'd obviously be happy to do it, but the candidates have to want to do it. Um, You know, I suspect Marianne would be open to it. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I I have no reason not to think that RFK Jr. would do it, but I just have no insight into what his thinking would be on that. I think ideally it would be none of these YouTube shows and it would be a bigger platform tonight on the Twitter spaces with Ron DeSantis. I think it was Elon who said the door was open to anybody hosting one of these things in the Twitter spaces. So if he really means anybody, does that mean that he would be willing to platform Marianne and RFK Jr. in these kinds of spaces? I think that that would be marvelous just because I think they would benefit from a bigger platform than either Breaking Points or Rising or Bad Faith could provide. Um. If it were me and I were working for either of those campaigns and I heard Elon Musk say that, I would have had my team immediately reaching out to them to schedule something next week. Okay. Say, yeah. that's, the biggest, that's the biggest platform, you know, they're going to get with the mainstream media being what it is. I know. I just really hope that, you know, Americans get to see just how inept basically all the actors in the selection are. And I just, I don't know. I just, I hope Joe Biden does not get the nomination, although it's probably what's going to happen. But hey, fingers crossed, I guess. Yeah, that that um, Podsafe um, episode that um, Steph, uh, who with a kitty cat, sorry, I think she was Steph, was referencing, also referenced some interesting polls about how much Biden is struggling with the black vote and the young vote in particular. Um, I'm interested in digging into those polls more. I I think that there's opportunities to really put some hurting on him. Uh, and there's also some 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 ambivalence about how much the turnout that was increased by the Dobbs decision in midterms is going to hold over to a presidential race. Uh, so I think that the Democrats are scared. 
And I would like them to be more scared to the extent that there's leverage in their fear. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right thanks, thanks for, for taking my call, everyone. And <laughs> thank thanks for you. watching. Keep the faith. All right. All right. Uh, neoliberal tears. Look at you patiently waiting and not using your superpowers to join the speaker's box. <laughs> I know I'm so good tonight. My <laughs> God. I mean, I'll stop. Uh, can, I ju- can I just get, please drive this back to the topic, uh, which is Ron DeSantis. I want to quote a great intellectual, Alyssa Farah, who, you know, I've been watching to see what she would say about DeSantis for a while because, you know, she did come out against the, oh, sorry, let me. Uh, yeah, um, against the um, uh, the Trump campaign. So I thought she would be totally on board. And obviously, I disagree with a lot of other, uh, her other views. But she said he's the most overhyped governor in America. Oh, Alyssa. I know. And she has every reason as a Republican to be like, totally like, let's go, you know, with this guy. Mm-hmm. But she's been real. She's about it. He's so, I mean, honestly, like, the, the way he was going after DEI, like they were ISIS. <laughs> like, yeah, I it saw was you too, that was hilarious and it's completely correct. <laughs> like what he was going, like nobody cares that hard about <laughs> DEI than Ron DeSantis, who heard him? Like, it's so embarrassing. If you like, poll DEI, like what percent of Americans do you think know what DEI stands for? Exactly, like Jesus Christ. Like, you know, like you're running I mean, you're like they're gonna you're gonna feed them with your anti DEI hate, you know. Like that's the most corporate stuff, also, because like DEI, you're not really concerned with DEI unless you're working in some kind of sort of white collar environment. I feel like, right? Like they had me do DEI seminars. I had to run the diversity stuff at the law firm because I was the only black person in my class. You know, like that's that's when I got introduced to DEI. Like I don't, I, I like. Who you have to cares? make at least 200k i think to even get right? to that point <laughs> like it's so who was this for and like yeah nothing about the war which trump has been making like a big thing about because he he's a panderer <laughs> like you mm-hmm. know he's like you know give me 24 hours nothing about that no energy um and i even i mean even like i love seeing i mean like even the populist uh right people being like yeah that was chat gpt mm-hmm. you know people that have no investment I mean, obviously, the Trump people were like, were like super Trump. And then that one weird guy was like, um, you know, but he doesn't cheat on his wife, which was so It was weird. so unhinged. <laughs> I, I was actually going to start the call earlier. And then I was so engrossed listening to that guy talk <laughs> and that turns me since that I pushed it, it back hilarious. 30 minutes. <laughs> like, they're just, I mean, I don't know. Like, I have no dog in that fight. I kind of hope Trump and DeSantis take each other out. But like, it's hysterical. Like, it was... Nobody, nobody's appealed by this. He has, he's going nowhere. It's not a, like, I don't see, I mean, obviously he's a, been a terrible governor in Florida and I disagree with his policies. Mm-hmm. I'm saying he has no, ch- no chance in hell. So when Trump launched his campaign, I said this this morning on Rising and I'm going to keep repeating it because I feel validated and vindicated. When Trump announced, everybody was like, oh, it's low energy. Oh, it's not going to, he had lost the magic. Oh, he's not going anywhere. You know, I, I, I love you some crystal ball, but she had a radar that was like low energy Trump. Robbie thought it was low energy Trump. Everybody I know and like was like, oh, Trump's out of the game. And I was like, how quickly y'all forget? <laughs> Don't count out my mans. Because <laughs> he is a force. And I did a radar that week that was like, 
people are really overhyping how he ruined midterms. The only reason that his percentages were bad in terms of, um, you know, his midterm picks losing was because he had a, like a couple of high profile races that attracted a lot of attention. But this, statistically, most of his overall majority of his candidates won. The odds were not that bad. He, you know, he was reaching out to help some people on the margins. But like he still has good political instincts. He has better political instincts on abortion rights and the rest of the Republican Party. Like, don't count him out. And I stand by that. Obviously, I don't know the future and what's going to happen, but I just have a really hard time imagining that if someone takes out Donald Trump, it's going to be Ron DeSanctimonious meatball high heel boots, uh, high knee boots. And, you know, the, the, the other thing that Trump was um, uh, weirdly, like, instinctive about is that you don't touch Medicare and Social Security, at least rhetorically. Mm-hmm. Like, he was warning Republicans, don't do that. And Ron DeSantis, I think even someone brought it up on the call, wants to privatize Social Security. Um, and that was, mm. a rep- like, a Republicans. So, I mean, yeah, going nowhere. But- yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and I I am not looking forward. The the commentary at tomorrow is going to be all about how dumb Twitter Spaces is as a medium, which you know I don't really think is the issue. I think his performance on the Twitter Spaces was worse than the technical. Oh yeah, it was um, laps itself. Than the glitch, yeah, way funnier. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that like some of the people on the um the Twitter spaces that we're talking about with all the um, kind of a range of conservative viewpoints on it, uh, we're saying, well, it's evidence. And this is, this is how Ron Sanders is spitting it. The crash is evidence of how popular it was. He broke the internet a la Kim Kardashian, right? But like your job was to plan for a presidential announcement, which is going to attract many millions of people and for it to work. Your job was to anticipate Oh my the God. draw and like, that it should work. <laughs> Elon was like, you know, he was like, no, guys, this is authentic. Okay. The fact that we had these glitches, it makes us authentic. It's this a is crazy cope. It's a crazy it cope. So and AOC and everyone else doing a victory lap talking about we had more people call in when I was doing uh, Among Us, playing a video game, and the watermelon at BuzzFeed when they were, you know, you, know, you add like rubber bands to a watermelon to see when it's going to explode. Apparently that <laughs> had more callers and it didn't break down. And I'm sorry, Elon Musk, you don't get to run around saying that I'm a genius. And I'm, it was a smart move for me to fire like 75% of my workforce if your freaking app never works. Also, the KISS asser, and, and let's contrast that with the, the KISS asserita Elon was like so funny to me. It was gross. Like, there, was a, there was like a Congress member, like Massey, I think, who was like, you know, I just want to tell Tesla. you, Elon, I love a Tesla. <laughs> It was so embarrassing. Like, first of all, there was a huge tech issue right now. You're all just like kissing asses. And also like Elon was like, you know, he was talking about the elite cabal. Like, sir, you're a billionaire. David Sachs in front of, sorry, that's right. Uh, you're a billionaire. Like, right. you do not talk about elites. Come on. Like, what is, this is hilarious. It's Come so on. crazy. I said this on Rising too. It is so bizarre to have <laughs> people talking about, accuracy. like, Elon Musk is popular on Twitter. He's popular online with other nerds. I say this as an online nerd, no shade. But in the real world, he is very uncool. I don't like the word loser. (laughs) But he's very uncool. Lest we forget what happened when Dave Chappelle, a cool person, 
problematic in the nth degree, but a person who has social skills and is liked and cool in the real world uh, invited him on stage and got this response. For the richest man in the world. Ten minutes of booing. Elon awkwardly pacing. Dave Chappelle ends up having to say, hey guys, give him a chance. That's the reality. That's the real world. I love this. I mean, I also felt like, I mean, Elon obviously, after, was this after Chappelle that he bought Twitter? I mean, in terms of tracing the villain or uh, story. This was, no, this was last December. He bought uh, Twitter in the fall. It was like maybe September, October, I think, something like that. If I recall correctly, mm-hmm. and he was so talking he about it all summer. The loser origin story, I see. Because um, I, I mean, I knew when he like inv- got himself to get on SNL that he had like some we like crazy narcissism, trying to like you know, but um, yeah, the the weird fawning over him was um, hilarious, hilarious. Yeah, it made him look weak because it's a bunch of weak. Like I, you know, I don't actually believe in these like stereotypical masculinity things. I'm not saying anyone's actually weak or that we should judge weakness in these stupid, like Cro-Magnon chest beating sort of ways. But (laughs) in a world where that's how people are being assessed, like it was giving, it was giving weak energy. It was giving, I'm revenge of the nerds. It it was giving, I'm corralling all, all of my like um, friends around me to, get revenge on the, on the bully or something like that. Like I'm surrounding myself with yes men, like failed dictator with a bunch of like little creeps around saying yes, yes, master. Like it was giving, it was, it was giving pathetic. And, and, and I'm not like, I, I don't like Donald Trump. He's horrible, but he's, that's not what he's giving. Like Elon Donald really Trump commands like- a room. Donald Trump gives bully and bullies aren't good, but <laughs> if it's bullies versus simps, the bully's yeah. going to win the primary. <laughs> and Elon, too, like, I saw a lot of, I mean, the, I mean, it's not going to go great for him. I think he thought it would, like, boost his thing of, like, you know, oh, doing this with DeSantis. It's going to, we're going to get articles written, so many reporters. But, like, I, you know, ever since he announced the the new CEO of, of Twitter, like, mm-hmm. you know, you saw his, even, like, his fanboys being, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> Turning, which that's the thing. Like, if you're a general of an army, um, you might not want to. Yeah, it's not gonna. It's not gonna be great. I mean, when they turn on you, it's kind of. Yeah, but yeah, um, and and I said this this morning on Rising too. Like attaching yourself to someone like Elon is. Thank you, you, It's a real tough call about the liability versus gain. And Robbie was like, "Well, he's the most favorable person in America by those polls." I was like, "Okay." He also just spent all of the last two weeks arguing that the guy with swastikas all over his chest wasn't really a Nazi in the the Allen, Texas shooting. So, you know, if Ron DeSantis is trying to make the case that the the book bans aren't banned, that there's not really bigotry, meanwhile, people are showing TikToks of books about the Third Reich being thrown out into trash cans, and you're partnering up with the guy who's peddling every conspiracy theory in the world on Twitter – and replying to cat turd and banning people from social media 
and trying to work overtime to rehabilitate um, Kanye West after his weird DEFCON 4 meltdown and then brought him back to the app and then finally kicked him off again for doing less than what he had done when you kicked him off the first time and also didn't really violate Twitter's terms and conditions. So you're not really that free speechy. I mean, like what, what you're mixing messages and you're tying yourself to someone who's a lot more erratic than you. If you're supposed to be Trump without the baggage, you're just tethering yourself to someone who has a ton of baggage and no filter. That's all I have to say about that. All right. Neoliberal tears. Thanks for calling in. Can I ask, are any of you guys conservative in, in the queue? I would like to call on like one conservative person if there is one around who has thoughts and feelings. Gregory is saying that he is a conservative. So let's talk to Gregory. All right. Bob Ross, what did you make of it all? Hey, Bri, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I want to know what you, what you think of this announcement, this launch, the medium, uh, the message, the man. <laughs> um, I, well, I don't like Ron DeSantis uh, for the reason that, you know, he's taking on Karl Rove and uh, Jeb Bush. Like, I'm a conservative in the sense, like, I'm the old school, like, anti-war kind of conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're aligning with the Bushes and the Cheneys, you are the wrong person to be in my party as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, and it goes on the Democratic side, too. That's why I do actually like um, uh, Kennedy. You know, he has been very vocal against, um, you know, the war and about the military industrial complex and how it has taken over the Democratic Party, which I used to like that about the Democratic Party. Um, and now I'm not. They're kind of the same to me as the uh Republicans in the case of war, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just crazy. So, um, but for the Twitter spaces, I did think it was interesting. Um, I do think Twitter, I mean, you know, I know you guys want to make fun of Elon, but I think the platform is getting better. And I think Mm -hmm. the ideas of what they're going to try to do with this is it it, it can become amazing. I I do think, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, Elon, he's everything he does, but it's like, you know, first, I think he's smart hiring that woman because she was like the number one salesperson for NBC. And he needs sales. He needs someone to go sell advertising. And that's what she did. That was how she became, you know, president of NBC. Um, and he'll worry about the technical side um, and maybe kind of keep himself out of the limelight as much. But um, I think where it's going, I think Twitter is going to be pretty amazing. Um, I, I love the idea that, you know, I like that these guys can come on and have a long conversation. Um, and I did appreciate that about listening to Ron DeSantis to listen to, you know, how he thinks what he, you know, what he thinks. I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff, but it is nice to hear that where, you know, when you have those stupid debates, a guy gets up there, they get two minutes and they start breaking in. It's like, you don't get anything out of it, you Mm -hmm. know? So I do like that. I mean, I love that about Colin too, you know, I mean, you know, unfortunately it looks like it's going to just get swallowed up and probably go away. But um, are you talking about the fact that it was just acquired by rumble? Yeah. You know, sex and those guys sold it to rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if they'll keep putting money into it or not, but I, that's what I do like about the long form, you know, and that you do let people like me come up and talk to you, even though you and I have probably some, a lot of different ideas in our <laughs> politicals, you know, but so, um, uh, 
Yeah, I really like the app, too. And I think I agree with you. I mean, I love Twitter, right? Like, how can I sit here and deny that I love Twitter when I spend every waking hour on that confounded app? My biggest audience is on Twitter. I, you know, have been on there for years now, really cultivating a community. I really loved, I love Twitter spaces as a format. I really loved fleets. I wish they would bring back fleets. You know, I, I think that this was poorly executed, and I think that, Elon Musk has to take responsibility for the technical, as you said, he's in charge of the technical stuff. So that's on him. And my criticisms of of him that I've made on rising and such are all that. Like if he bought the app to make it more free speechy, I'm for that as a project. I felt like I was shadow banned under the previous Twitter regime, right? Like I would love for there to be more transparency at Twitter. And I thought the Twitter files were a good journalistic enterprise. I think it's ridiculous that he cut off Matt Taibbi because of some interpersonal dispute when Matt Taibbi was doing important journalism, right? Right, right, exactly. I'm not someone who criticizes him on that stuff. But, like, my problem is that he is ex- he's taking advantage of this narrative that he's doing all this free speech stuff while he does the opposite and in some ways has been even worse <laughs> than the predecessor in terms of that he's openly saying, I'm trying to skew the political content on this app. Now, maybe the other people were also doing it. And I, I don't agree with that either, but it doesn't make two wrongs don't make a right. And I wish somebody really would just make an app where there was transparency about the algorithm and transparency about the choices of who to ban and who to let back on the app and all of that sort of thing. And I do think there's a lot of promise to your point in the app in hosting political debates, et cetera. I'm not entirely sure about the visual stuff. I don't think that's really the way to go with Twitter. I don't want to scroll I don't want to stop for a four-minute video, much less a 20-minute video. Uh, and I and I do think that he needs to take responsibility for the fact that he keeps setting himself up for failure, not having capacity in the workforce to actually make the app run. I think it's really disrespectful to workers to just presume that you can decimate your workforce and that there's not going to be a quality trade-off. Um, but I do, I do take your point that generally speaking, having the idea of a kind of a town hall format and taking questions is a lot more exciting than just a presidential announcement. The problem was it was just such obsequious um, questions from insiders who were just lobbing softballs. And yeah, like, I would have definitely, like, I would have definitely liked to have seen like somebody from the other side. You know, I saw you were on there, but would have gone up to ask him a hard question because I would have liked to seen him have to answer a hard question and then hear his thinking on, you know. That's the kind of stuff that we need to have to really understand who these people are. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not happy with, um, I, you know, I, I'm not happy with anybody right now that, you know, besides maybe Kennedy. Um, and, and, you know, you were talking about him earlier. Um, you know, he, he's been talking about the, he was on Ron Paul like a couple years ago talking about all this stuff. So it's not like he, you know, where they're saying, oh, Steve Bannon was trying to get him to, you know, mm-hmm. he's been talking about this stuff forever. I mean, mm-hmm. and, 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 and if you actually listen to him talk about the vaccines, he made a point and he said, look, I spent my entire adult life fighting against mercury in the water and getting in the fish and then getting into humans because we eat it. He goes, and then I finally, when people, he said forever, I didn't listen to about the vaccines. He goes, when they said, people kept saying, listen, we're injecting mercury into people. And he's going, well, yeah, I guess that doesn't make sense. You know, and so I don't mm-hmm. know what's right or wrong with these vaccines. I'm not a scientist or anything like that. But the guy has seems to have spent a very long time studying it. He might be right. He might be wrong. I'm saying he should at least get the option to 
you know, try to explain in detail what he, he, he thinks, you know? Yeah. So, that's um, what I said to, to Matt Brunig. I think us journalists aren't going to get, be able to get around getting better at the science. You know, I thought I was going to be a science journalist at one point in my life. Uh, I have a history of science degree and I was thinking to myself, there's just no getting around it. Like, I don't know the truth. I mean, he makes a good point. Like, we all just know what we're told by the scientific establishment. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're wrong because they are misled. Sometimes they're wrong because they're being nefarious. But, like, at the end of the day, if people really want to have that conversation with him, we're going to have to just read the shit that he's read and get in there. Or, like, find an expert that's really a good faith expert who can get in there and talk about stuff with him. But to his point, he's not running on that. He's, that's no, like not what the campaign is about. But I'm just saying, as a person who he is, you know, I mean, I want to look at the whole picture. Um, you know, I like, I didn't know this. And he, he, he said it and I kind of went and looked it up. And he said, he goes, you know, 25% of all drugs that get approved eventually get yanked off the market down the road because they find out something else was being happened from a side effect. And I was like, what? You know, and that was true. And I was like, huh. You know, so it's like, I, I mean, there's things from every candidate that I would like, and there's a lot of things I don't like. And, you know, I just don't want Trump and Biden running again. You know, that's the thing to me. I'm just like, uh, yeah. I, well, let me ask you this. Can I ask you what you thought about, you know, some people have said, so actually somebody asked this to Trump, um, you know, a potential Trump voter asked him this at the town hall on CNN. You know, they expressed concern as a business owner that Ron DeSantis was, um, willing to use the power of the state government to go after Disney for disagreeing with him about a policy and what we, you know what the limits of that are. And then during tonight's town hall, Ron DeSantis said he was willing to use withholding federal funds for agencies as a way to affect change, arguably coerce uh, agency behavior. Do you think that kind of rhetoric is going to go over well with conservatives more broadly is there like a contradiction between saying you care about kind of state power and local and local independence and state independence from the federal government and ron really framing himself as wanting to be a strong man and using the federal power to advance the anti-woke agenda well you know here's part of the problem and another thing again with him that i have a problem with like all these guys, these conservatives, like they call themselves, you know, they're all arguing about the woke stuff. And that, like you're saying, that, he, that is so far down on the list of problems that we have. Mm. And when I when I hear him talking about that, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, get away from that. I, I'm like, that's not an issue for America right now. I mean, yes, it is some kind of problem and everything, but there's so many other problems that we have. That, well, know, what do you I think just, are the priorities that would, would win out that people really want to hear about from either candidate? Um, I think war, education, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your wallet, you know, I mean, that's kind of where everybody's always off what, you know, if I got a job, I'm happy. If I don't have a job, I'm not happy, you know? So um, that those kind of issues are the big ones. And then of course you got things just kind of move down the line from there. Um, but, you know, I'm like, I, it's so crazy on Twitter. Cause I'll, I'll, I'm against the Ukraine war. It's not that I'm against Ukraine. I just, I'm just, this whole thing, I don't like it. I, I don't like the military industrial complex. It seems like they had 20 years in Afghanistan to be selling these weapons and they needed a new war because they needed a new customer. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just very frustrating. Um, it, it, it just doesn't stop. And so, I mean, there's so much money being spent on the military. It, it, you know, it just, we're do you think anybody's? Do you think anybody, Gregory, is noticing that, there doesn't seem to be anyone who's actually calling 
even the people who are anti-Ukraine war don't really seem to be calling for any changes to the military budget. I know. It's so crazy. It's like they want to expand it on all sides, you know, and you're like, it's the biggest now line item in the mil- in our entire budget. And it doesn't make sense that, you know, if let's close, uh, you know, I think we have 800 bases around the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do we need to be there? I, you know, I could see strategic bases. Maybe there's a hundred of them that we maybe need to be at. But other than that, you know, that's just, uh, you know, trying to be imperialists. And I don't want to be that, you know, and so. And the other so. thing that struck me was just that there was one point where um, they were talking about the NAACP saying, issuing a travel advisory for Florida, which I think is silly and a misuse yeah. of energy. And um, DeSantis responded by saying that, um, you know, black, there's more black business owners in Florida, and that's great. And I, I always have this question, whether it's about black business owners, any business owner, sometimes I feel like Republicans will, will um, praise relative successes in their state, let's say. But I, I want, what I want to hear is why you think that happened and how you're going to replicate that, that from a policy perspective nationally like is this something that just happened to happen for reasons that really had nothing to do with you or do you actually have a theory of the case for what you did as a governor that enabled that that you can then do elsewhere because here's the catch-22 for someone like ron DeSantis: if you say i had a program that helped black businesses well are you then admitting to some kind of minority focused outreach that helped black people which you don't believe in or are you saying there's some broad policy? Then what is that policy that wasn't minority focused? And I just, it's like, when are you going to actually give us your theory for the case of how you're going to lower inflation? Okay, Biden's doing a bad job at inflation. Fine. What's, what are you going to do differently? What are you, yeah. you going to do, you know? Well, see, that's why that would have been a perfect question had somebody on that Twitter space to say, okay, because I heard him say that and I said, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But then I was, like you said, I'm like, well, how did that happen? You know, so if he did do something, hey, great, let's find out. Yeah. Let's see if we can replicate it. You know, yeah. I'm all for that. You know, I'm a believer. In, I'm a small business owner and I'm a, I'm a believer in small businesses that, you know, it'd be great if everybody could really find a way to, you know, do that. But, you know, if he's got a plan that works, then share it. Don't just say it, you know. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I just think, uh, I mean, he was, he, it was, you know, I mean, a lot of those guys, it was like, they were just kissing his ass and, you know, I'm just, I don't know. He, he's not it. I don't think, I don't think he has it. Um, he definitely doesn't seem like a killer. And it, you know, the one thing about Trump that even though I don't like him, he doesn't, he, he's going through the throat no matter what, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't think anybody right now out there can stand up to him. Um, and then it's just, I guess, going to happen if the courts are going to ultimately make a decision that he's going to be a felon and he's not going to be able to run, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you know, Eugene Debs ran from prison and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, all right. I, I really I enjoyed talking it. to you, Gregory. Anyway, Thanks for calling in. It. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. You too. Keep the faith. All right. Um, I think we're going to wrap it there. Um, I can't close without saying how sad I am to hear about uh, Tina Turner's passing. An icon, truly. Um, an incredible woman. A beauty, a talent, who was resilient, and she will be missed. We always do it. Nice. Rough.
But we're going to take the beginning of this song and do it easy. But then we're going to do the finish. Rough. The way we do. Proud Mary. And we're rolling. All the good side of the city 